This is William Tincup, and we are recruiting live from Transform in Vegas at the Greenhouse booth. And I've got Stella and Bernard here, and we're going to talk a little bit DEI. So why don't we do introductions first? Stella, would you please introduce yourself? Thank you, William, and thank you, Greenhouse, for hosting and uh, sponsoring this event. My name is Stella Lupushar. I lead Reframe Work, a consultancy focused on workplace experience through the use of technology and analytics. Oh, cool. And I teach at NYU a class on digital workplace design. I have a couple of books that came out during the pandemic. Um, but my biggest passion is to create inclusive workplaces. Um, and technology can be a great enabler. Analytics can be a great measurement uh, mechanism to set the baseline as well as figure out where you can make investments in. Right. To, to when you're it. thinking about EX, are you going all the way out to the candidate side? Absolutely. Yeah. And all the way out uh, to, to the, the alumni. alumni. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's really the experience 360. Absolutely. Yeah. That's nice. Bernard, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself? I sure can. Uh, thank you, William. Uh, thank you, Greenhouse, for having me. Um, glad to be here for this conversation. Uh, Bernard Coleman, I'm the Chief Diversity Engagement Officer at Gusto. So Gusto is a payroll platform in and of itself. but One of the best. It's one of the best. Uh, we, we use it. We're clients. Well, thank you for me being too. a customer. Thank you for being a customer. <laughs> uh, but we help people connect. Isn't it funny how that stuff works out? Yeah. Like somebody gets on and like, uh, yeah, we're a customer. Like, yeah. I mean, cool. it is a, it's, it's an easy place to work for because of what we do. Yeah. Um, helping small businesses. Yeah. Um, but what is my daily job? Uh, it is diversity engagement equity and inclusion, but basically thinking about the through line of the whole employee experience. What does that look like? What's that feel like to our, our, our staff? And hopefully, if we become more representative, we best serve our customers. So it's the whole through line of the employee experience. Yeah, what's, what's interesting about your job is is not only what you do for the company, but also thinking about your customers. Because mm-hmm. you're, you're in, in an HR position, payroll, you're in an HR position to then influence a bunch of different people that might not be thinking the same thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, at the small business level, it's, I think it can, be, it can be harder to think some of these thoughts. I don't want really to make excuses, but I think it can be harder. I mean, that's, that's the reason for diversity, equity, inclusion. If you can represent the views of your customer, right. I think your employees are a microcosm of the people you're trying to serve. So the better you can do that, right. the better you can deliver on that promise. Um, I think it's, Fairly straightforward because you're trying to get you know all the market share you could possibly get. Why would you? Why would you? Why would you just want some? I don't understand that. Never have. Um, all right, let's do. Let's do in the last five six years. So not you know back to 1940. But where do you think we've made strides in DEI? And Stella, I'll start with you. Where do you? What do you? And again, it could be something positive. I think there are a lot of opportunities to kind of expand what we define by DEI. Right. And, of course, we started with traditional visible categories. Gender, race. Everything the EOC yeah. uh, captures. And I think over the past five, six years, we definitely enriched the data set and the number of intersections we, as a company, care about or look at. Uh, so we redefined gender identity. We uh, we increased the um, granularity of the data we can track from um, number of races that you belong to. Right, 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 right. Invisible right. dimensions such as I don't know, preferences. Neurodiversity. neurodiversity. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the awareness that was raised as a result of it, of it created more inclusive workplaces, created the more nuanced and refined HR practices. Right. And 
one area where I feel like we're making a lot more progress is in racial diversity. Yeah. So there are a lot of initiatives that pop out as a result of it. One of them I'm affiliated with, it's called 110. So it's a coalition of Fortune 500 organizations who have committed to create one million family sustaining jobs for black talent over the next 10 years. So it's a it's a systemic yeah. ecosystem play that requires coordination and orchestration it, across multiple what, employers. What I love about this is the longevity. Absolutely. Because a lot of folks, I think it was a little bit of whitewashing. Oh, yeah. And uh, especially uh, after George Floyd is, let's go sponsor a bunch of HBCUs and we're doing a good job. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's cool. I mean, first of all, they'll take the money and they need to. But that's not that's not long enough, uh, is my perception at yep. least. One of the things I really like, you know, we're key in on what you said is it's, I think it's Einstein that said this, but it's the older our, the older you get, the more you know, or the more you learn that you don't know. Yeah. Like, and I think that's true of what we're learning about diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, and equality. All of them is that it's an onion. When we start peeling back the onion. It's like, oh wow, there's a bunch of new stuff that we didn't have no any idea, which is great. Yeah. I think it's intimidating for a lot of board members and leaders. It can be intimidating. Maybe that's excuse making. I don't know. I'm not sure, but it's there's an onion of all kinds of opportunities. Start somewhere and start learning. So good stuff, Bernard. Mm-hmm. What about yourself? What do you? What do you? In the last couple of years, what have you seen? Or what do you that you like? That you think uh, the movements in the space, the DEI space, that you're like, okay, okay, you know. We're, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think it's uh, the way I've talked about it is the ways of tech. And look, looking at, you know, I work at Gusto, so it's a tech platform, ultimately. But you saw the certain ways. Like the first wave was like uh, EEO, affirmative action. Right, then right, it was right. like, do your diversity reports. And right. everybody was doing that for a few years. And then after George Floyd's murder, it was the level of education and awareness was off the charts. Right. It was almost like everybody woke up and it was a it was an issue everybody wanted to get behind you did see some performative actions but you also saw substantive actions in terms of like right the growing of the field right more diversity equity inclusion practitioners that's right i saw a level of seriousness and rigorous rigorous more, more budget more budget well actual budget I actual budget say. instead of actual, like being a actual, one, actual budget being a one person you yeah. know wrecking crew uh, Janet in diversity and inclusion and has no budget, but <laughs> but she's responsible for all diversity. That's great. Yeah. So yeah. that commitment and awareness, was, right? Um, I think meaningful. And I think even when we when I would like just anecdotally talk to candidates, they go, "Diversity is really important to me." But like right. sincerely, right? Asking yeah, yeah. deep questions. Oh, yeah. If I'm going to join this company, if this if you, if this doesn't track, I'm not going to join your company. Like people are really serious about it. Gen X, Gen Z, so different than Gen X in the sense of what, what we would tolerate as opposed to, you really see it with Gen Z, and it's true of millennials too, I guess, but Gen Z, they're just unwilling. They won't put up with, like, so they, they want to see people like them in the recruiting process, in the hiring process, in the employment process, people at different levels of everything. Like, they're asking hard questions. It's not, it's not easy questions that they're asking. Which is great. I'm envious. About time. Yeah, I'm envious of it. I'm like, I, I celebrate it because I, it's the questions we should have asked 50 years ago. We, we weren't ready, uh, whatever. Uh, I, I say that we're always 100 years late to stuff. But uh, did you have anything else on the positive side, Bernard? No, it's uh, education and awareness and just people of being more serious. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And at, at, at different levels. Different levels. Was, and, was it just often one side? Yeah. It's just, it, as a practitioner, it might, it felt, I felt like finally they yeah, hear, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They care. They care. Right, Glad fine. you showed up. <laughs> All right. Now let's do the opposite. So in the last five or six years, what have you seen that you're like, we're still not there? You know, we, we, I wish we were talking more about this, et cetera. So, Stella, we'll start with you as well. I have three things. Okay. One is concerns about the momentum, because you have George Floyd killing, and then that creates an outcry that creates investments, um, efforts, et cetera. And then now with the economic downturn, everybody's starting to shrink the... Um, the budget. The budgets and I, I Nancy from the... See, I feared this. At yeah. the beginning of the pandemic, we were different, similar but different. We were really empathetic. Yeah. Like you get on calls with people, first 15, 20 minutes was just like, how are you doing? Yeah. How, are you, how, are you, how are you feeling? How's your family? You're very dripping with empathy. And it's like, okay, my fear was, are we going to go back to the way it was? And so I have a similar fear with, with the, uh, like all of this energy is great. Can we sustain it and can we build on it? Yeah. The second area where I feel there's a lot of um, opportunities to improve is rethinking the impact of the office space or in general workplace design and how that will impact. So if you may not necessarily be in the office more often, will that impact disproportionately Minorities again because they'll not have the exposures, right. they'll not have the visibility to the. Uh, to I've often wondered about yeah. this: is do we create a class system? Exactly. Are we creating a, a different class system by people that choose to be to work from home? Yeah. Oh. And then the third one that mm. hasn't reached the kind of the top list of isms to yeah, yeah. to deal with More is mage. age. Oh, hundred percent. Hundred percent. It's impacting. Uh, women predominantly, it's impacting minorities predominantly. And yeah. it's an economic issue because if we don't solve for longevity and the fact that people need to stay employed to earn, to augment their social security, we're pushing a huge proportion of the population into poverty. And it's You know what's interesting is is Donald, the CHR of, of Greenhouse, he's real, real heavy into allyship and solving for the algebra of allyship. And he's like, Look, the root word of allyship is not ally, it's all. Yeah. And so what's fascinating about that for me is thinking about ageism. So here's something I did just, just, just really as a, as, as a bit, but I went into LinkedIn and deleted everything on my profile prior to 2000. So there's nothing in there. Like, like my, it looks like my work experience is 23 years and I'm going to do that every five or six years. I'm just going to delete the stuff and just keep deleting it. So it looks like I only have 20 years of experience. It's irrelevant because everything else before then, it's wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) And pain, but yes. (laughs) All right. All right, Bernard, what do you, again, I I think you said things that we could work on or or things that you'd love to see that we could improve upon. What what do you see on the negative side? I think on the negative side is, again, it's the commitment. We did, we have lost momentum. Um, One of the things that worried me when we were, I think, at the peak of this was, there were a lot of DEI practitioners being plucked out of obscurity. Right. And arguably you could say they weren't set up for success or that might be new, so there might not be a lot of empathy as they're, as they're trying to ramp. Right. So if they fail, then someone might go, well, Man, we tried that. It didn't work. They were a total failure, and they'll, and they'll go back in the, in the wrong direction. Right. So I, I do worry I was, about that. I was, I'm, wor- I'm still worried about that in terms of 
building some type of certification program around what all, because it's like a lot of learning. A lot of people that I know do a DI professionally, it's learning on the job. And it's like, well, that's cool. However, you know, it'd be nice if we actually had certification and learning to where people have got good baseline of information that they could work from. Yeah. And, it, and the thing is, the reality with this work, it's practice incrementalism. Right. What a lot of people expected after George Floyd was mm. like, change the world tonight, you know, and it, this is not how it works. And I think there's also managing those expectations. The other thing I'll say is the cultural clawbacks that we're seeing, you know, yep. return to office is yeah, yeah. interesting. I hate it. To Stella's point to like, you know, is it going to create class systems? But like it's, I feel like some organizations are using this is air cover to bring people back. You 100%. Know, and to me, I, I, I agree. You have to go back to the office. But you need to qualify to explain why you're doing it. And then so that way we can all come together, right? Um, and really just be intentional about it. But I do worry that it's going to be ham-fisted. Oh, I, I, can, I can already tell you. it's, it's it, I, I hate it. I'll tell you. And the excuse that I hear um, on my podcast a lot is it's soft skill development. Okay, so this is, this is really, really Those are the hardest ones. Right. We're going to bring everyone back to the office so that we can do soft skill development. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're bringing back, you're forcing people back to office so that you can watch them work. Exactly. Because you don't trust that they're working at home. And it's like, we went through three and a half years of people working from home and being productive. Like, what's the problem? Now, I'll tell you, I will, on the positive side, I interviewed, um, oh, I can't remember the company. It was in Dallas. But they have a Wednesday. And it's, it's mandatory. Everybody's got to be in on Wednesday. But they don't do work. It's for the social. It's for the, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's like we're going to get together. And yeah, we might brainstorm or stuff like that. We might go and do some design charrettes. But we're going to have fun. We're going to get to know each other, get to know each other's families. Like it's a bit. It's not work. But I think it's more, Bernard, I think what you see is what is very similar to what I see is like, no, this is just a, uh, this is an easy way to basically filter people out. Yeah. Clever. I, I, and I think if organizations are more intentional about it, like I do think coming back to the office is not a bad thing. I no. think people require human connection at different times, but if we're not all synced up, right? And I go to the office and nobody's there, I'm like, well, what was that for? Right? I spent two hours commuting or wherever I'm coming from. So I do think you know, this just needs to be very intentional. And we—it's not like how when the pandemic began, we just went—you know—we went home, right? Like right. now, you have to ease back into it and help people adjust. And I think the final thing is like. We can walk and chew gum. <laughs> and the fact that we're losing momentum. I know we're fighting for real estate. It's the economy. It's this, it's that. But we can do yeah. We can do multiple things. So I wish people would, you have to multitask. Turns out. And, and actually do all the things you're going to do. You just can't use those as excuses to, to yeah, I concede think progress. I think, it's a, a, I think it's an excuse for people to then basically take budget back because they don't understand either the importance or they don't see the impact that they wanted to see. And again, to those unrealistic expectations, it's like we all saw a man get murdered on TV. Like, you can't take that back. Like, that's we, we everyone saw the same thing. You can't watch that video and say, nope, no, I think everything's good here. Man was murdered in front of us. So yeah, um, that's a shared experience that we all went through. Now, the impact part of that is there was a bunch of, bunch of again, it became mainstream to then talk about DI. Great. But that's talk. Then you start moving into programmatics and you start looking at outputs. Now, what I wanted to ask you all about is the measurement side of things. So what do you, 
What do you think is important for us to be looking at? Because everybody's different. Like we were in a vendor hall and there's, you know, 80 companies in here and they're all on a different journey and all that type of stuff. But what, what do you look at in terms of measuring DEI? What should we be looking at? I think there are multiple levels probably to consider at the macro level, right? We need to really look at the social mobility of different demographic groups and not only look and focus on the traditionally employed people, but look at the entry level, oh, interesting. frontline, um, everybody who we consider the essential. Right. But if you think about those are the least paid, the least uh, <laughs> job secure people. Yeah. Um, so I think we as a society really need to look holistically, especially as more and more people choose to pursue either independent work right. or many of them have to piecemeal together several jobs to make a living. So that's you know the, the social mobility at the um, macro level. And then at the organizational level, you really need to understand the uh, composition as well as the, um, the needs of right. different. And look at it not from how many we have, but right. what is their need and what are the barriers? Because different people may have very different um, support. Right. And, and the organization's bulks, usually all the offerings under that's everything right. fits. Cookie know, cutter. Cookie what cutter. What works for you, works yeah. for Bernard, works work for me, which and is that's horrible. not an inclusive no. approach. You right. need to have care leave, caregiving leave, as opposed to just parental leave. Right. Because not everybody is a parent. You need right. to have different... Um, you know, accommodations for people with different abilities, you know diverse you, abilities, not You know what you're, de you're describing is it's highly personalized. Absolutely. And we have the data, we have measurements, now we can track everything and everyone, like right. you were saying earlier, right, right. but we're not taking advantage of it. Bernard, what do you what do you think? What's your what's your take on measurement or what you what you believe we should be looking at? I'm gonna look internally, I think. Um, so I usually focus on hiring progression, engagement and retention, right? So that's right. Those are like, you know, that's the floor in terms of metrics. Right. What, what I think, and again, I was talking about the interviews is li real leadership engagement. Right. Uh, I think if you, if you have the leaders, like if they actually do it, everyone will follow suit because you're going you're gonna to mirror what this being model because it's important to your boss, it's going to be important to you. So if we actually see leaders actually, not a, I'm going to get a bonus in five years time, right. gonna, like actual real engagement, ra actual real, like I changed my behaviors. And you actually see some like companies leading in that way. Yeah. Sincerely. Sincerely. I think that's when it really, really changes because it's not like it's always grassroots, right? Like everyone's here hollering for yeah. this, or hollering for that. Yeah, but the, the problem with that is even since the '60s, it's you can holler from the outside. Yeah. You can even holler from the inside. But at one point, if it's not a board priority or C-suite priority, you're just hollering. Yeah, and, and that's when it becomes real. It's like we. We're putting some we're putting some uh, stakes in the ground. Like this is what we're going after. Real commitment. And right. I think that's when you actually see a real change. Yeah. Um, when leaders are engaged, they're out there, the loudest one, right, doing the work. Right. It's it's very easy to follow that versus, um, the tail wagging the dog. It's so much of that is, uh, especially for leaders, is listed, and as, you know you don't you don't know what you don't know, right? So it's like asking people, it's like, okay, hey, we're doing this. What else should we be doing? You know, so I think one of the things I'm 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 excited about. I hope I, I see it in my lifetime is where we're not talking about diversity and inclusion. It's just a part of every conversation, intrinsically a part of every conversation, everything we do. But I might be dead by then. So 
But anyhow. Let's be hopeful. I'm going to be hopeful. Thank you all both for carving out time and coming on the podcast. Such You've been wonderful. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All righty. Oh, this it, is so It puts cool. mine to shame. <laughs> <laughs> 